All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, good, good. We're glad you're here with us this morning as we worship God together. Of course, we're not done with worshiping God. Now we worship God in a different way by studying His Word, the Bible that He has given to us. If you're new here, my name is Adam Bowers. I'm the senior pastor at First Free Church, and I'm, I'm fairly new here myself. Only been here a few months, but we love this church, and we are loving the series that we're going through right now. It's called Undivided. And so if you're new and if you're not familiar with what we're doing here, let me just give you a quick recap to explain why we're doing this. So Undivided is the name of the series, and we're talking about the beliefs that we have and the fact that we need to be able to prioritize our beliefs into different categories because some things are worth dividing over and some things are not. And we want to be clear on which is which. So we talked about four buckets. We introduced four buckets here. The dogma bucket is for the core of what we believe, what makes us followers of Jesus Christ. The doctrine bucket is for important positions that we hold as a church that we believe are true. They are critically important, but we recognize that there are other genuine followers of Jesus Christ who would disagree on some of those points. Then there's the conviction bucket, which is where we're going to be today. We're going to talk about convictions. And in the conviction bucket, we put those personal views, personal beliefs that we have that we understand other people may have different views on. And then there's the preference bucket, which is for beliefs that we have that really are just personal preferences of ours. Like one of mine is I I prefer or I believe that crunchy peanut butter is better than creamy peanut butter. It's just one of the beliefs. Thank you. And, And... All of you in in Camp Crunchy, you are welcome here. Camp Creamy, get out, you know? No, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of this series is that some things are worth dividing over and some things are not, and we want to be able to tell the difference. Now, this whole series has raised a lot of really interesting questions, and and that's kind of the point. That's what it does. We're talking about a framework here. We're not talking about one topic. We're talking about a framework that we bring, that we believe is based solidly on God's Word, to say that we need to prioritize our beliefs into different categories. Of course, we're using these labels of buckets. That's our own thing that we're bringing to it. But we, we made the case in the first message in this series that both Jesus and Paul made it very clear some beliefs matter more than others, and we need to be able to differentiate those. And so this framework that we're bringing to this here is not just to talk about one particular topic. This really addresses everything we believe, from the most important to the least important. It all falls into these buckets here these different types of belief. And so because of this, this series raises a lot of really fascinating questions. And you may have come up with some really interesting questions throughout all of this. And so what we've done is we've created a website called efree.org questions. And if you would like to submit a question, you can do so. It is anonymous. You can put your name in there if you want to, but you don't have to. And over the last couple of weeks of this series, we're going to try to tackle some of the questions that you come up with. Now, I cannot guarantee that your question will make it in because some of you might come up with some pretty weird stuff. We are going to screen these, but we will cover some of these questions in the last couple of weeks, whatever we can. If there are multiple people who submit the same question, we'll probably do more of that. Don't try to game the system and submit 10 forms or anything like that. Just submit it once per person, please. So efree.org slash questions if you want to do that. We talked about the dogma bucket a couple of weeks ago. And in the dogma bucket go the core of our beliefs. And we said that was the gospel message. It's incontrovertibly true if you believe the authority of God's word. So if you believe in the Bible and you believe that God created this world and and mankind rebelled against him and that Jesus came to die for our sins, rose again, so we can have life with God, be reconciled to God, saved from our sin, nothing that we do of ourselves, that is the gospel message. That's the core 
of what we believe. Then last week, John talked about the doctrine. He talked about how critically important the doctrine is, even though we're going to have some differences with other churches over their positions. Each church has their own kind of doctrinal statement that they come up with, and godly men and women over the centuries have come to some different interpretations, different conclusions about some doctrinal matters. Now, I want to be really clear about this because we're not saying that doctrine is not important. We are not trying to soften or sugarcoat our stance on our doctrine at all. We are not saying that. Our doctrine is critically important, and where another church or organization disagrees with our doctrine, our statement of faith and our positions that we as leadership in the church have established, this is what we believe to be true, we're not saying that, it's, that the truth is relative. We're not saying that it's true for them and this is true for us. No, we are saying that where they disagree with our doctrine, we think they're wrong. That's an important distinction to make. We're not saying we get to choose our doctrine, they get to choose their doctrine, and we're both right. No, we're saying we get to choose our doctrine, they get to choose their doctrine, they're wrong, but they're still followers of Jesus Christ. Do you see the distinction there? That's important. We're still brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We still believe that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ and not anything that we do, not any other God or religion. You have to believe the dogma of the gospel, but we need that distinction there Because otherwise, we can actually end up weakening our dogma and our doctrine. Let me explain how that works. When you take convictions or preferences and you treat them like they're in the doctrine bucket, you end up creating a whole lot of confusion because you don't have the same level of support biblically for your convictions and your preferences as you do for your doctrine. We believe that our doctrinal positions here are the clear things in God's Word, that we can put our stamp on this and say, this is where we stand as a church. This is absolutely clear. There may be some things, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, in your conviction bucket where you say, I just believe that based on God's Word, based on godly principles, I believe that this is right for me and my family. But when you take some of those issues, and again, we're going to talk about this more in a little bit, When you take some of those issues and you elevate them to the level of doctrine, you actually weaken your doctrine because people see the inconsistency that's there when you throw all kinds of things into that doctrine bucket. And this is where we get most of our church splits from. Most church splits are not over real dogma or doctrine. Most church splits are over lower buckets, convictions, or preferences. After the first service, someone came up and talked to me about the church that split because they stopped wearing choir robes. Now, you might put choir robes in the preference bucket. You might put choir robes in the conviction bucket. And frankly, I don't care as long as you don't put it in the doctrine bucket. And definitely not the dogma bucket. Choir robes are just one of those things that, you know what? If you have a personal conviction that you believe that, that, that based on godly principles or the conviction of the Holy Spirit or whatever it is, that we should be wearing choir robes up here, that's fine. But that's not a good reason to split a church. When we elevate conviction to the level of doctrine, we weaken our doctrine. When we elevate our doctrine to the level of dogma, we do the same thing to the dogma. When we take our doctrines, as important as they are, and they are critically important, and we believe that they are true, but when we take those and say, you have to believe this to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, now we've actually weakened the gospel. We've weakened the dogma. We've tried to add things to it. We've diluted it. And if you're going to do that and you share your faith with other people, which I hope you do, and you get out there with them and you're at the point where you say now, would you like to pray and, and tell God the decision you're making? You want to trust him as your savior and, and, and do all of that that's involved in salvation. And then you've got to whip out a little contract and say, now this is our doctrinal statement. 
you got to make sure you agree on all of these or else none of this other stuff works. And we wouldn't do that because we know that while doctrine is critically important, you don't have to agree or understand all the doctrinal stuff in order to be a Christian. We want you to get there. We want to teach you. We think our doctrine is true. We're not minimizing its importance at all. But we have to figure out what do we do with the fact that there are other Christians who do disagree on our doctrine. Are they still a follower of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. We agree on the dogma. We disagree on the doctrine. And in this church, we have doctrine that we believe is absolutely true. And we want everyone to switch to our views on our doctrine. Absolutely. But we recognize that they won't all do that. At least not in this lifetime. Once we get to eternity, everyone will see that we're right about everything, right? (laughs) That's how it works. So understanding our buckets of belief actually gives us stronger doctrine and stronger dogma because it is much more clear what goes in there. Today we're going to look at the conviction bucket. We all have different personal convictions about lots of different things. Alcohol, music, uh, smoking, whether it's okay to drive over the speed limit, guns, TV shows, movies, dancing, the beginning of the world, the end of the world, spiritual gifts, modesty, piercings, tattoos, uh, cubs, cardinals, all these different things. We have lots of different personal convictions. Now, how many of you, when we're talking about these things like alcohol and music and TV shows, how many of you have had one of those really awkward family dinners where one of those topics came up? Anybody? Where it's just like, yeah, some of you are afraid to raise your hand because the reason's sitting next to you. It's just super awkward when these things come up because we don't know how to handle them. We don't know what to do about the fact that we have these disagreements. And over the centuries, people have really disagreed about these convictions, and it's led to some horrible things. And hey, if you're new to Christianity and you're just exploring all of this, you may have some baggage, you may have some hurt in your past because of the fighting that you've seen among Christians. And you may have looked at that and said, how can any of this be real? How can any of this be real if they treat each other this way? And if that's you, I just want to say on behalf of the, of the church, on behalf of Christians, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. That is not the way this is supposed to work. That is not what Jesus taught. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to explore that today. We are going to cover how to disagree about personal convictions and not divide. We're going to cover how to disagree about personal convictions and not divide. So let's do a little recap. What are convictions? Well, we said a couple weeks ago, convictions are personal beliefs that are based on godly principles, but not mandated for everyone. I want you to open your Bibles if you've got them with you. If you don't, you have a cell phone or a tablet or something, you can go to YouVersion. That's an app. And go to the events page. Go to First Free Church. It's under the events area. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 14. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, and let me give you a little background as you're going there. The Christians in Rome were dealing with divisions over secondary issues. And I want to be clear about this. In Romans 14, Paul is not talking about dogma. Paul is not talking about doctrine. We need to to put some parameters around our talk today to be clear that we are talking about personal convictions. And that is what Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 12. He says, yes, each of us will give a personal, personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And then verse 14, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. 
But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another person to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts, verse 23, about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. And this is where I want you to interact with me here. For you are not following your convictions. That's our topic for today. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Would you just bow your heads in prayer with me for a moment as we ask God for wisdom as we study his word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Not just the words that I speak, Lord, but as your Holy Spirit works in us, guide us into truth. Reveal areas where we need to refine our convictions Reveal areas where we may have elevated convictions to a level they don't deserve. Reveal to us areas where we need to reconcile with other people because of perhaps division or frustration, friction that we have caused. Lord, forgive us for the mistakes that we have made, driving a wedge between brothers and sisters in Christ over some of these secondary issues. Help us to do better. Help us to live in ways that demonstrate the love that you have for us and that you've given us for each other. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, whenever I come to a controversial, maybe not controversial, but a corrective passage like this, Paul is giving correction. Whenever I do that, I'm always looking for the root cause behind what he's talking about. So the surface level issue is the food. That's not so much what I want to get at, although we'll talk about that a little bit. But there's a principle behind this. There's always a principle behind this. And I want to get down to that layer and go, okay, what was it that they were doing wrong? Why did Paul feel that he needed to write this letter to the church in Rome, include this passage in there to correct them on something? What was it they were doing wrong? And as I've been studying, here's what I've come up with. Here's what I think they were doing wrong. They were focused, the believers in Rome, they were focused more on condemning others for their personal convictions than examining their own behavior. This is why Paul says each one of us will give a personal account to God. Stop condemning each other. Each one of us will stand before God for judgment one day. And here's the thing. When God, imagine with me for a moment that you are standing before God in judgment. So when God is judging you, is God the all-knowing, all-seeing, knows every thought you've ever had, is that God going to parade up a group of human witnesses to come up and basically share their opinions about how you lived your life? No. God knows everything. He does not need to bring up expert witnesses to give their thoughts, their opinions on how you lived your life. 
God doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need their advice on whether or not you had the right motivations or whether or not you had the right convictions or the right beliefs. God is going to judge that. And I want you to listen to this carefully because this is probably something that many of you just need to take this away today and you don't need to hear anything else. Here's the thing. God will not judge you by other people's opinions about your convictions. Just meditate on that for a minute. Probably some of you needed that more than anything else. God will not judge you by other people's opinions about your convictions. And yet we spend so much of our time worrying about what everybody else thinks. About what we do. And Paul's message here is not, you can do whatever you want because no one else can condemn you. His message is, you shouldn't be condemning or judging others for their convictions. They shouldn't be condemning or judging you. Not that there isn't going to be a judge, but the judge isn't you. And the judge isn't them. The judge is God. And so, we don't have to worry so much about other people's opinions about our convictions as if that's what the judgment is going to be. And there's a a critical shift in perspective here. Because the Roman believers were focused on condemning and judging others for their convictions. They said, my convictions are good, yours are bad. And Paul said, you need to shift that around and examine yourself. I've got a pair of glasses here. Let me just put these on real quick. This is going to look really goofy. Does that look goofy? Can you tell what color these are? That's right, they're rose-colored glasses. Some of you probably need some of these just for walking around church just to see everybody in a positive light. Rose-colored glasses. Who knows what rose-colored glasses are? Who knows what that means? When you've got rose-colored glasses, that means you see people in the best positive way. It means you've got a positive lens that you're seeing everything through. And even when something's negative, you see the positive in it. When a parent sees their kid through rose-colored glasses, it means they can do no wrong. It means every time they mess up, everybody else sees it and the parent goes, not my kid. Nope, that was just them showing their creativity. Nothing wrong with that at all. They're so brilliant They don't even have to obey the speed limit. They're just so brilliant. When parents see their kids through rose-colored glasses, it means that they see them through a positive lens. So a couple of weeks ago, someone came up to me in the service and gave me a really nice gift, really neat craft, a special thing that they had created, and it was pretty cool. And I took it home and put it up on on the shelf, and uh, one day while I was at work, my son decided that it looked pretty cool too and that the individual components would work great in one of his projects. So while I was gone, he disassembled the whole thing and built his own craft out of it. Now, when I came home and saw, I'll be honest with you, my first reaction was not, what did you do? My first reaction was, I'm not even mad. That's, that's pretty good. I had my rose-colored glasses on. I was, I'm impressed. For a four-year-old, this took a lot of planning and creativity and ingenuity. I'm like, that's really good. And I actually had to take off my rose-colored glasses and correct him because he knew what he did was wrong. He knew he shouldn't take somebody else's thing and just rip it apart and make his own thing. But I had to take off those rose-colored glasses of how impressed I was to correct him because I'm trying to raise a mature, responsible adult, not an entitled kid that thinks he can do whatever he wants with anything. And we probably need a lot more of that in this country. I had to take my rose-colored glasses off. What, no applause for that? I had to take my... My rose-colored glasses off, put them down and say, no, I'm going to correct you even though I'm impressed with what you did. Okay, that's rose-colored glasses. When we see other people's convictions, when we see our convictions, the perspective that we tend to have is we do not look at their convictions, their beliefs, personal beliefs, through rose-colored glasses, do we? We see their 
convictions very differently than our own. We see our convictions through this. This is a rose-colored mirror. My beliefs, my convictions, man, they're perfect. Boy, they're just great. In fact, everything I believe, I think when we get to heaven, Paul and I are going to just line up like right down the line. I mean, we got it. I've got to figure it out. I know what to do about alcohol and music and smoking and all this other stuff. Because my convictions, I see through a rose-colored mirror. And I see everybody else's convictions or beliefs through dirty glasses. So mine are infallible. And theirs are inferior. And we judge other people by the shows that they watch or the car that they drive or the house that they live in or whether they think it's okay to get a toe piercing or whatever people are into these days. I don't know. But we judge them for these things and we view our convictions as being superior. And Paul is saying, shift that around. Examine yourselves. Don't condemn others. Let's put the focus back on your behavior and your beliefs and your actions. Now, the issue that Paul's dealing with is food. And he uses a word to describe this food called koinos, which means common. Like koine Greek is the Greek of the New Testament. It was common Greek. Koinos food is common food. For the Jewish believer, this would have been secular food that as a Jew, they were supposed to avoid. But now they follow Jesus Christ. And so the issue for them was, what do I do with my traditional religious upbringing that said these foods were wrong? And now there are other believers that I'm around, believers in Jesus Christ, who think this food's okay. And I have a problem with that. Because I know from my upbringing, my conservative religious upbringing, that those foods are wrong and you should abstain from those. I don't see why that's different now. Jesus was a Jew too. So shouldn't we all abstain from those foods? Jesus said in Mark 7 that every kind of food was now acceptable in God's eyes. God gave Peter a vision and declared every kind of food was acceptable to God. And here in Romans 14, verse 14, Paul says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus, because remember Jesus said in Mark 7, that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. So Paul is validating the food is not the issue here. He dealt with something really similar over in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, you've got people who instead of being Jewish background believers, they are Gentile background believers. And these Gentile background believers, they came out of a pagan lifestyle. And the pagan priests would take food and meat in particular, offer it to an idol, and then they would go sell it in the marketplace as, you know, certified pre-owned meat. And they would put this out there and sell it at a discount and you could get this stuff. And if you were to go over to your neighbor's house and have a meal, you may not know if you were being served idol steak or not. And if they said to you, and you were a believer, and you walked in there, I said, hey, by the way, I got a great deal on this meat. It was a bulk discount down at the temple. And you came out of a pagan lifestyle. All of a sudden, your antenna go up. And the radar goes off. And you go, hold on a second. That represents my old lifestyle. I can't believe you would even associate with something from a pagan background. And they're going, what? It's good meat. It was, on, it was a discount. I never went to that temple anyway. It has no connection there for me. But for this person, they're saying, that has all kinds of alarm bells for me. And I have the Holy Spirit now. So I think that maybe this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we shouldn't be eating this. This was the problem that Paul was wrestling with. Do you eat this food or do you not? A few years ago, my wife and I took a team of people out to Washington, D.C., and we visited a bunch of temples and a mosque, and we wanted to learn, and we wanted to have times of teaching afterward where we could just kind of grow in our faith through that experience, but be aware of of what was going on. 
with different faiths as well and, and just be able to teach people about that. It was a great spiritually growing process for us. So we went in and we got to go into a temple and as we were going around this temple, there were all these shrines, big shrines inside of a big temple building. And at one point, we stopped in front of this one shrine. They were kind of giving us a tour. It's this altar structure that you have to walk up into. Really big and idol, idol sitting there, big idol up there. There are idols all over this place. And a priest or monk or whatever comes out, and he's got a basket of food. He takes it up into this altar structure, and he offers it ceremonially before this idol. And then he brought it back down the steps. He walked over to each of us, and every single one of us got a banana that had been offered to this idol. What do you do with that? We're sitting there holding our bananas going, do we eat it? I mean, I'm hungry. I haven't had lunch yet. I could really use this, but I don't know. This feels weird. None of us had ever been offered food sacrifice to idols before. And of course, my mind immediately went to 1 Corinthians where Paul deals with this issue. So we went outside, we talked about it, and here's what I said. I said, look, guys, I know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and in Romans for that matter, that eating any kind of food, there's no, there's no ban on that. And in 1 Corinthians, he says there's nothing wrong with eating food sacrificed to idols. The idol is nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Nothing physical changed about this banana. Nothing altered about this banana. Because there's no real God there. That's not a real God. It's an idol. It's fake. It's false. Just because you took it up there and you waved around some stuff and you sprayed some incense and all that and you brought it back down doesn't mean anything changed about this banana. It's still something God gave us as sustenance and nourishment for us to eat. There's nothing wrong with this banana. However, in Romans 14, Paul says that if there's a chance that someone around me might see me doing that and it might cause them to do it and they had doubts then even though technically the act was not wrong, because they were willing to do something wrong, because their motivation was wrong, for them it is sin. And because I did it knowing that I might lead you astray, then I would be in the wrong too. Because I would have encouraged you to sin. And so I'm throwing my banana away. I'm not going to eat it. Not because I think there's anything wrong with eating it, but because if I did then you might, out of peer pressure, follow me and yet have doubts and yet be sinning. It's not every day you get to live out a real-life idol scenario from the New Testament. But that was one experience where we got to do just that. Paul says in verse 15, If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Here's what he's saying. You can be technically correct in your actions and yet be spiritually wrong. You can be technically correct in what you're doing and yet be spiritually wrong because you're leading someone astray. You're causing them to stumble. So let's go back to our original issue. How can we disagree about things in the conviction bucket and yet not divide? How do we show love and graciousness when we disagree? And again, we're not talking about dogma or doctrine here. We are talking about things that are non-essentials, disputable matters in the conviction bucket. Some people call these gray areas. Paul is going to give us Three principles right here in Romans 14, and we're going to walk through those three principles together. Look at verse 17. Our first principle is this. Your primary goal should be unity, not uniformity. Your primary goal should be unity, not uniformity. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Not a matter of what we eat or drink. It's a matter of harmony. It's not a matter of some of our beliefs about these secondary issues. It's about being united. And he talks about goodness and peace and joy. And these are not things that we obtain. These aren't items to gather. This is how we live our life. These are character traits. This is an attitude of how we're supposed to live our life. He's not saying you have to agree on everything. He's saying you have to treat each other with love, even though you have disagreements. Your primary goal should be unity, not uniformity. The second principle is this. You are responsible to limit yourself when you know you could cause someone else to stumble. Look at verse 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. What is that work of God? It's the work of God in another believer who is still growing and maturing. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat, verse 21, or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. Now, this does not mean that you have to cut out everything out of your life that might possibly offend someone else who's a Christian. This verse has been misused that way to say, well, I disagree with this thing, so you can't do it. I don't like the fact that you have drums in your music, so now nobody gets drums. I don't like the fact that you do this thing over here, you wear this kind of clothes, and nobody can do it. That is not what this means. The issue is not whether or not someone has a difference of conviction with you. The issue is, is it going to cause them to stumble? I remember one time in college, one of my professors was giving me a ride from one end of the campus to the other. And when I got in the car, he reached over to turn on the radio, and right before he did, he said, hey, just want to double check, do you have any issue, personal conviction about this type of music that I'm about to play? I was shocked. That was the first time in my life that I can remember anyone ever being sensitive to the fact that another Christian might have a difference of conviction. Now, this guy was much more mature than me, much wiser than me, has much more biblical knowledge than me. If anything, he could have just turned it on, and if I said, oh, I have a problem with that, he could have given me a lecture on why his perspective was right and mine was wrong. And he would have been right. And yet... This older, more mature believer deferred to my possible convictions. Now, I had no issue with what he was going to play, but it just impressed me that he would even be sensitive enough to ask that question. That this guy who was far, far more mature than me would be deferring to my potential views on that matter. And that really stuck with me. That's why when my wife and I, we have people over, if we're going to watch a show or a movie or something like that, we'll ask, hey, you know, do you have any issues with this? Do you have any problems with this? I don't want to cause you a problem. I don't want to cause you a problem because you came over to our house and you disagreed with something that we watched and yet you kind of felt forced to watch it because we turned it on. You didn't feel comfortable telling us no. So we'll just ask, do you have any problems with this? And if you don't like Rambo or Die Hard or Frozen or whatever it is, then we'll watch it after you leave. (laughs) See, it doesn't affect what I do with my convictions, especially when I'm alone in my own house. I may watch different movies than you watch. You may watch different movies than I watch. And I'm not saying there aren't standards here. I'm not saying we don't apply wisdom and biblical principles here. What I'm saying is this. This does not mean that because someone else is bothered by something you do, is offended by a conviction that you have, 
or has a conviction against it themselves that you can't do that thing. The issue is not, do we have agreement? The issue is, might you stumble? Might this tempt you to do something that you really shouldn't do? Let me share a scenario with you. Let's say that one family is going to have a gathering at their house. A bunch of other families are going to come over. This one one might hit some buttons here, okay? So get your feet, your toes ready. Some are about to get stepped on maybe a little bit. One family is going to have a group of other families over for dinner. And they have decided that they are going to serve wine at this gathering. But they have heard through the grapevine that there's maybe this one family they're going to invite over who has a conviction against alcohol, against drinking alcohol. Maybe they're fine with putting it in stews or soup or something. They don't want to drink it. Whatever it is, whatever nuance of that conviction they have, they find this out. And as mature, responsible, Christian, sensitive people to this, they contact this couple and say, hey, by the way, we're going to have this gathering. You're invited. You're coming over. Um, No judgment either way. Just want to check. We've heard that maybe there's a little issue here. Do you have a problem with us serving wine with dinner? Is that an issue for you? And this could go a couple of different ways. The couple might say, you know what, we actually recently just got through uh, an addiction problem and, and dealing with alcohol abuse, and so boy, not only is it a personal conviction, it's a real struggle for us right now, honestly. And then what, is that, what does that family do? They say, never mind, we're all going to drink water or soda or something like that. We're not going to put that kind of temptation in front of you. Now, let's say that this couple says, you know what, we do have a personal conviction against it. We, we don't think that it's okay for us to drink alcohol. However, we understand that's a personal conviction. And we're not going to be bothered if you serve that there. We're not going to be tempted. We're not going to stumble. We've done this for 30 years. We we are not going to have an issue if you serve wine there, but we won't have any of it. And that's totally okay with us. Well, then what do you do? There's a disagreement there. They have a different conviction than you. Do you have to not serve wine? No, get out the wine glasses. Because the issue is not, is there disagreement? The issue is not, do they have a different conviction? The issue is, is it going to cause them to stumble? And if you've got, and there are all kinds of issues with this applies. If you've got a mature Christian person who says, I have a personal conviction against this, but it's not like you doing it, it's going to make me stumble. That doesn't mean you have to cut all that stuff out of your life. The issue is, is this going to cause someone to stumble? And you are responsible to limit yourself when you know you could cause someone to stumble. Principle number three. From verse 22, principle number three is God may have more strict expectations for you than for others. God may have more strict expectations for you than others. Verse 22, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. In other words, that's okay. Go ahead and do that, but keep it between yourself and God. Don't don't, uh, cause issues for people that have a difference of opinion there. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But, verse 23, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your what? Your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Some of you have personal convictions about a variety of different things. You might have personal convictions about alcohol. You might have personal convictions about modesty or or dress code or TV shows or movies or different beliefs, all kinds of stuff. And it's possible that God has given you those specific convictions for a reason, for a purpose. 
He might have more strict expectations for you than he has for someone else. And you don't need to feel bad about that. You don't need to feel left out because of that. You don't need to judge anyone else because of that. You don't need to apply those convictions to others, and they don't need to apply their convictions to you. It is perfectly fine for different believers to have different convictions. That's what Paul is saying here. That's not the issue. Remember Samson? Samson is this guy who had this Nazarite vow where God's expectations for him were different than the rest of the Israelites. Don't drink wine, don't cut your hair, don't do all this other stuff because God had a special purpose for him. And maybe, just maybe, God has some special purposes for you that correlate with some special convictions that you have. That's okay. It's not a reason to judge others or for others to judge you. Let's take this one step further. Let's get really practical here. And this might be a little bit on the academic side, but I think it's worth going into this for a little bit. So stay with me here. We're going to talk about some spiritual beliefs, some some theological things. And if you don't have lunch plans today, I am about to give you some amazing conversation starters for lunch. So you should just find some people afterward and and go out to lunch together and write these down. And, And I'm just going to give you some amazing argument starters, I mean conversation starters that are going to really serve you well today, okay? So, so listen up. How did God create the universe? Was it in six literal days about 10,000 years ago, or was it billions of years ago when he used evolution to kind of make everything? Did God determine before the foundation of the world who would be saved, and directly or indirectly who would not be saved? Or is there a legitimate offer of salvation to anybody that hears the gospel? Does the Holy Spirit regenerate people who don't believe God because God selected them, or does he regenerate people who have believed God so they can join God's select group? You see the distinction there. Will Christ return before, during, or after a future tribulation period? Is the gift of tongues always a real human language, or could it be an angelic language? Should Christians be, and this is where we're going to get into trouble, should Christians be Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians? None of the above. You don't have to answer or raise your hand. I'm just throwing it out there. Are there certain words that are wrong for a Christian to say? Is it wrong for a Christian to own a gun? Should we have in our church small groups with more discussion or large classes with more formal teaching? I could go on and on and on here. There's all these different nuances of things that we believe. And here's the thing. Godly people have studied these things and and hundreds more extensively and come to different conclusions. People who have the same commitment to Jesus Christ, the same commitment to God's word as being true and authoritative for our lives, and they've studied these things and they've come to different conclusions. These are great uh, concepts for discussion. They're not great for division. So we don't want to elevate a personal conviction to the level of doctrine in the doctrine bucket. But there's another layer I want to go down to here because this gets even blurry and this is a really important distinction for us to make right here at the end. Sometimes we confuse a doctrinal belief with a related convictional belief. Let me say that again. Sometimes we confuse a doctrinal belief that is in the doctrine bucket with a related conviction belief. Let me give you an example to show you what I mean here. Is prayer important? Do we believe that prayer is important? Good answer. I would absolutely put that in our doctrinal position as a church. We believe prayer is important, no question. Uh, Should we always call people forward to pray up front at the end of every service? Less sure about that one, which is good. Because there's no verse in Scripture that says at the end of every worship gathering, thou shalt call people forward to have them pray with people. That's not in there. Is it a good thing to do? Yeah. 
is a good thing to mix it up sometimes, probably, so it's not stale, so it doesn't become taken for granted, whatever it is. There's no doctrinal statement that we can make that says this is the methodology we have to do. Now, here's what people do. They confuse the two. They say, well, you didn't call people forward for prayer that one time at the end of the service, therefore you don't care about prayer. See how that works? We do this all the time. We confuse a matter that's of conviction or maybe even preference with a related doctrine, and we conflate the two as if because you're using a different methodology or a different approach or a different way of doing this, you don't agree with the doctrine. And that's not it at all. We have to be so careful about this in the church. We have to be so careful about this to distinguish between what is actually conviction that's related to a doctrine. Let me give you one more example. This one's about salvation. Does God save people through the message of the gospel? Does God save people through the message of the gospel? Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's in our dogma bucket. All right, that's, that's the number one right there. God saves people through the message of the gospel. That's clearly in, in dogma. Does God command, this one's tricky, so listen carefully. Does God command everyone everywhere to believe and repent? To believe the gospel and repent. Does God command everyone everywhere to believe the gospel and repent? Some murmuring. Not sure what we should answer. I'll go ahead and tell you. It's yes, but that is in our doctrine bucket. In fact, that phrase comes right out of our doctrinal statement, our statement of faith. We believe that. There are some churches with genuine followers of Jesus Christ who would take issue with some of the points of that statement who would actually disagree with some of the elements of that statement. Not many, but there are, there are some. And so that's in our doctrine bucket. But did God determine ahead of time who would be saved, or is there an element of truly free human choice involved? You don't have to answer that one. In fact, I know for a fact that there are married couples who are going to answer differently on that. That's, that's okay. That's not in our doctrine bucket. It's certainly not in our dogma bucket. That is firmly in our conviction bucket. And I'm going to say something here that for some of you may sound really controversial, but I absolutely believe this to be true. When we are talking about God choosing ahead of time who will be saved or not choosing who will be saved, who will believe the gospel, that is not the gospel. Whether or not God chooses ahead of time who will be saved is not the gospel. And I know that some prominent people have said that it is. They're wrong. It's not the gospel. Here's what those are. Those are theories about how the gospel works behind the scenes. I know that might hit some of you in a little bit of a strange way. Think about it for a week and get back to me. Whether or not God predetermines who will be saved is not the gospel. We can prove that in this room. There are followers of God who have believed the gospel who are on both sides of that issue or others. That is not the gospel. Those are theories about how the gospel works behind the scenes. If we were to pull back the curtain and see exactly how God is working, we would know for sure. We can't do that. God has given us glimpses of how he works. But for centuries, we have come up with theories, systems, frameworks that we use to try to fill in the gaps and explain through interpretation how this stuff works, how God does this, how does God apply the gospel, how does he actually work to make the gospel work. And we've come up with ideas of how to do that, but we cannot say conclusively, authoritatively from God's word, this is how he did it. 
we can't understand the workings of God. We can't fully comprehend it all. Now, I have my own theory too. I think I know how it works. I believe my theory is true based on the information that I have. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe it. But could I be wrong? Could someone else's theory of how the gospel works be closer to the truth than mine? Yeah. If I'm being honest, yeah. And honest theologians on all sides of this debate will say, you don't have to believe my version of this, my theory about how the gospel works in order to be saved. Because that's not the gospel. When we're talking about issues like Calvinism and Arminianism and all sorts of other isms and theological frameworks that are like that, those are not the gospel. Those are systems, frameworks that try to explain how the gospel works behind the scenes. So where does this leave us today? Where do we end up? Well, we've got more to talk about because this has probably raised a lot of questions for you, which is good. We've got three more weeks in the Undivided series. And next week, Don is going to preach about the preferences bucket. So come back next week for that. And then we have two weeks that are dedicated towards applying the buckets to our relationships. How do we apply the buckets of belief to our relationships with other believers? How do we apply the buckets of belief to our relationships with people outside the church? Because there's an impact there too. What does that look like? So if you have questions you want to add to that, go to efree.org slash questions. And let us know, and we'll, we'll use some of those. But I just want to leave you with this thought for today, and then we're done. There's a tremendous amount of freedom when you understand the biblical principles about personal convictions. There's a tremendous amount of freedom when you understand that God will not judge you based on the opinions of others about your convictions. Not freedom to do whatever you want. Not freedom to believe whatever you want but freedom to have these conversations in ways that are loving and God-honoring where we can agree to disagree and still be great friends afterward. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God has done for us. He has allowed for differences. We'll find out in the end who's right and who's wrong. Spoiler alert, I think I'm right. (laughs) But you think you're right, and that's okay. God has given us a way principles that we can use in our lives in these conversations so that we can say and we're just going to apply our labels to it here so we can say in a conversation you know what we can have this talk we could talk for three hours about this disagreement we have and at the end of the day say you know what we both agree that's in the conviction bucket and we agree on our doctrine and we agree on our dogma this we, we keep this in perspective but we can still talk about it we can still have the dialogue because the beliefs that unite us are so much greater than the personal convictions that may divide us. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, we are so blessed to have principles from your word to guide us through life with all of the trillions of potential combinations of beliefs and convictions and cultural issues that we run into. People have different beliefs about what kind of shoes they should buy. And you have given us principles to use to apply these in such a way that we don't, disagree, don't divide over things even though we might disagree over some things. And I just think it's brilliant. And I just want to thank you, God, for allowing us so much freedom and flexibility and at the same time giving us the principles so that we can be united even though we have those differences. Now, Lord, help us to use them wisely. 
Help us to have the conversations in ways that honor you and glorify you, even though we may have some disagreements. And we'll give you the glory for it, for uniting us together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.